The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. Amen. to you today to worship, to give thanks, to praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to lift Him up. Lord, we gather today as Your people to glorify You. And we pray, Lord, that You would glorify Your name in us today. Inhabit our praises. Be with us by Your Spirit. Fill us that we might say and hear and understand the words of truth as You have given them to us. Lord, we pray that You would glorify Your name in our lives today, in the things that we do and say. And we pray, Lord, as we go out into the world, that you would glorify your name in all the earth, that you would use us, even weak people, to proclaim the praises and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world around us. And Lord, we join our hearts together and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our Confession of Faith, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. It's on page 845 in your hymnal if you'd like to look at it. I'm going to begin by asking you, as a statement of your own profession of faith, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Titus, chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man was shown, not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for all men. Amen. This morning as we continue to worship, open your hymnal to page number 710. We'll sing, God of Our Fathers.
reading will be on page 814. I invite you to turn there as we recite together Psalm 84, page 814. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Before our pastoral prayer time this morning, I wanted to share with you something that our elders discussed after uh, our elders meeting last Monday and after General Assembly. Uh, there was a statement that was sent through the overtures to uh, the Assembly to vote on whether or not to send this statement to the federal government, to our Congress, uh, to be sent on to each of the state governments regarding abortion. And the timing of this is that during the week of General Assembly on Friday, uh, we all heard likely the announcement of Roe versus Wade and what took place with the Supreme Court. But this statement was approved uh, to be sent on Thursday the day before. And I wanted to share it with you along with a couple of brief prayer requests and things to keep in mind before we pray. This is the statement that was approved. That the stated clerk of the General Assembly on behalf of the Presbyterian Church in America be directed to communicate to the presidents of the United, to the President of the United States, the leaders of our Congress, and the governors and leaders of state legislatures of the 50 states, the following statement. God declares in sacred scripture that civil government, no less than the church, is a divine institution and owes its authority to God. The Bible is the supreme revelation of God's will and teaches that the unborn child is a human person deserving the full protection of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We who love our nation in the name of God who alone is sovereign call upon you to renounce the sin of abortion to repent of the complicity in the mass slaughter of innocent unborn children who are persons in the sight of God and to reverse the ruinous direction of both law and practice in this area. The obedience to God which places us in subjection to your rightful authority requires of us to proclaim the counsel of God as it bears upon the same God-given authority. Uh, that was the approved language that was sent to the United States government and I wanted to share with you uh, just a few uh, statements and prayer requests that a, uh, a fellow sister Reformed denomination, the Communion of Reformed Evangelicals, um, shared. And I know that for many of us, this is something that um, we, are, we are deeply touched by. It is very much on our thoughts and in our minds, and we see it in the news, it's in our face. And as we think about engaging our own hearts, our own families, our neighbors, our culture around us, uh, to do so with careful discretion, uh, but also to do so winsomely in a way that people might hear and see the love of Christ in us. I wanted to share these 
uh, thoughts with you briefly. We know that this decision is going to cause much division in our land. And we pray that the bitter fury now being expressed would spend itself quickly. We pray that God will grant wisdom to His people that they will not return evil for evil. We pray that God will bring peace and stability to our land. We pray that His will will be done on earth and in America as it is in heaven. This was written and sent uh, by Pastor Virgil Hurt, who was the presiding minister of the council, uh, much like our stated clerk in the PCA. So I want to pray about these things. I do also want to pray for our missionaries of the month. Uh, But I want to pray about these things for the sake of the peace and purity of the church, but also giving thanks to the Lord for this work that He's done, that many people in our denomination for many years have prayed over the last 50 years that it would be reversed that human life would be put in the place that it needs to be, in the mind and conscience of our culture. Let us pray. Father, we thank You today to be able to to pray to You as our Heavenly Father. You call us Your sons and daughters. And Lord, we do thank You and we praise You for the work that our Supreme Court has done to overturn this law that made abortion very much available and on demand and run amok in our culture for the last 50 years. Lord, we thank You for this statement and the unity around this statement in our denomination in the Presbyterian Church in America that it would be sent to the government. Lord, we pray that You would use it not only to encourage our hearts, but Lord, we pray that You would use this work and the work of our own governor in this state for Your glory, that the image that you have created us in uh, would be acknowledged for what it is, that all life is sacred to you because you have made us in your image, male and female. And Lord, I pray that you would spend the energy of the fury that may be around many of us, that it would be spent quickly. Lord, I do pray that you would cause your people to not live or act in fear. Lord, we rejoice and thank you for life. We acknowledge and admit that any time a womb is filled with life, it is from your hand, and it is not ours to take it. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the, the precious covenant children that you have blessed our church family with. And we pray that we would take seriously and significantly our commitments to them, to raise them to know you, to partake and participate in assisting families raising their children by participating in any means possible whether it's Sunday school or the nursery or vacation Bible school or helping hold a baby in the middle of a church service, taking a meal. Lord, whatever means you have given us to be able to aid, we thank you and we praise you. Children are not a a distraction. They are not secondary. They are life among us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. For this time to be gathered as your people, I do pray for those in our midst who are suffering and struggling. Lord, I do pray for those who are not able to be with us today, who want to worship with us, but are providentially hindered because of sickness or illness. And I pray for those who are in extended long-term situations where care is needed. And we cry out to you for mercy and grace as the Father who hears us. Lord, that you would be ministering to them, that you would be providing energy and strength and rest and respite. Lord, I pray for those in our midst who are struggling emotionally and spiritually, that you would, by your Spirit, be working in their hearts and drawing them to yourself, that you would use the power of the Word of the Gospel to encourage their hearts, that they would not forget that Jesus, when He left His disciples, promised to send the Spirit of God to them. Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of that as your people today. Lord, I do pray for our missionaries and for the work that they are doing, that you would fill them with all love and encouragement that you would give them also a sense even now of our praying for them. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for our participation in the work of the gospel with them, that by giving our tithes and offerings, we are supporting your work around the world. And we pray, Lord, that this would all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship, singing hymn number 455, And Can It Be That I Should Gain.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. gladly rejoice that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. We acknowledge the bounty of all of your gifts that you have given us, and in them now we proclaim and confess that all good things come from you, and by your hands our families are fed, we are cared for, and Lord, we pray that you would take and use these, our tithes and offerings, for the sake of your glory, for the bounty of the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Lord, we dedicate them to you that you would use them, that you would stretch every dollar and every penny for the sake of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would hasten his coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verses 1 through 4. The sermon is entitled Grace and Favor. Grace and Favor. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. The sermon series that we have uh, been doing now for several weeks is entitled Searching for a Redeemer as we study through the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Last week we finished chapter 1 with Naomi and Ruth entering Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. There was a lot of excitement in Bethlehem. This was a harvest, it was not an insignificant time, and it was also a time marked with Naomi returning without her husband or her two sons, and here she comes into town with this foreigner, a Moabite woman who, at least by her family of birth and by her religion, had no thought or exaltation in her heart for God. And why in the world would she be bringing her with her? Why would Ruth be coming into Bethlehem? No doubt both of these women were both still exhausted from their trip. They were very much still grieving and trying to settle in a new place that they would call home. And yet the reason Naomi and Elimelech left Bethlehem over a decade ago is still pressing in her home. And Naomi is wondering, how are we going to eat? It is still something that she tried to answer those many years ago by leaving town and going to the land of Moab. And now she's back in the house of bread. And how will God provide for her? One of the things that we see take place in this story that is remarkable in such a small book is that it is filled with many statements and many truths about who God is and how He provides for His people. And I want to challenge your heart as you think about it today. What are the ways, the ordinary ways, that God works and provides for your family in the typical day-to-day humdrum back and forth of normal life? Many of us believe that in order to do work for God or to see God work in our lives, we have to go to some other land like Cambodia or somewhere else. Those are the people who really follow the Lord. Those are people who really see God work in their home to see change happen, to be able to rejoice. But actually, as we look at the book of Ruth, we see that it is in the normal, the ordinary, everyday things of just simply getting your feet over the edge of the bed, praying that the Lord would be with you and carrying you through every day. I pray that your heart would rejoice in this today, dear church that you would hear the truth of God's Word, that you would rejoice to know that your name is written in heaven and that the same God who worked to provide for this family is working to provide for your own. I want to share with you a verse that um, we've been going through a hymn the last few weeks. I want to share verse 6 with you. Of God moves in a mysterious way. It says, Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter. And He will make it plain. He will do that in this family's life. And He does that in your family's life. May you be encouraged to see that God works in this family and in yours today. This morning as we look at verses 1 through 4 in Ruth chapter 2, I want to do so under three headings. Number one, the man Boaz. Number two, going to glean. And lastly, our work and God's favor. Number one, the man Boaz. And you might notice that it's becoming this writer's habit to give us information that the people who are in the story don't have. He gives us information that Naomi and Ruth don't know, but is very vital to God's plan. He tells us about someone who is related to Naomi because of her marriage to Elimelech, but she doesn't know that he's there. At least she doesn't remember as far as we can tell. And it says two very important things about this man, Boaz. It says that he is of means in verse 1 of chapter 2. He's a man of standing according to the NIV. Or in the ESV it says a worthy man. And what this means is that Boaz, in contrast to Naomi who doesn't have means, who doesn't have any place in society except to be pitied maybe as a widow, as a woman without sons, as a woman without any great means, in contrast to her, Boaz is a man who has great means. He also has influence. And he also is a man of integrity. You say, well, how do you get that, Pastor? I don't don't know that I can draw a straight line between verse 1 and integrity in Boaz. But I think we see it in verse 4 as he goes to see the reapers. He says, the Lord be with you. And this was not just simply a greeting, hello, good morning, how are you? 
This was the Lord be with you as you are out in the fields reaping the harvest. May He provide for you as you are working for Me. The reapers were not slaves. These were people who had decided to hire out themselves to Boaz or to other landowners that their crops might be brought in. So the Lord be with you. Not only was it a prayer that the Lord would bless the harvest, but that He would bless those who were harvesting. And they respond in kind. Sir, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. He's a man of integrity, of influence, and of means. Secondly, it says that he is a relative of Elimelech's in verse 1. He is known to Naomi through her husband, Elimelech. She knows of him that he exists, even though she doesn't know yet he's in the story. And that he is a man of character. She would have known that because of her relationship with him. It says that he's of the same tribe as Elimelech was, of Judah. That's significant in the land of Bethlehem. And also the same clan. We read in chapter 1, verse 1, that Elimelech was an Ephrathite. The family, as we said before, is the building block of our society, even if our society chooses to deny it. The family is the building block of the society, and it certainly was true here. The clan, the Ephrathites, the clan was the kinship category. It was the way it was held together between the larger tribe and the smaller extended family. So it's not that Boaz was a brother, and maybe not even that he was a cousin, but he was a relative of a relative in the same clan. The clan consisted of families descended from a common ancestor and was the most important single group in Israelite society. And so when we looked at chapter 1, and it seems as though Elimelech is gone, the two sons are gone, it seems like this little family in the clan of the Ephrathites might be wiped out. That's significant. A whole family is going to be gone. There were also some rights and responsibilities of being in a clan, being in a family, much like in being our, in our families. Maybe you say this to your children. You have responsibilities in the home. Maybe you, you know what I'm talking about. The clans enjoyed specific inalienable rights of specific land according to Joshua 13 to 17. The ownership was with the Redeemer, the Goel in the Hebrew. And among other duties, he was obligated to protect that land and the people. And mention of his relationship to Elimelech here in this passage is important. It implied that there might be some clan family loyalty. And its incumbent duties might cause the man to use his means and his influence to help these two women. And the stage is set for us. Our hearts are are juiced a little bit to hear how is this going to work out. But take for a moment just to remember that Ruth and Naomi don't know this. They don't know what we just read, what's unfolding. They're just doing their everyday life. They don't see this. So point number one, the man Boaz. You have to have an appreciation for who he is and how it is significant in the story the narrator wants us to know. Secondly, going to glean. And notice that Ruth, it seems, she gets up out of bed, she throws her feet over the, over the bed, she washes her face, and she goes down to the coffee pot. She goes to work. She thinks, I'll go do this today. Sometimes the best thing that you and I can do if we're prone to lie in bed and sit on the couch and think about how all of our misfortunes have piled up upon us, the best thing we can do is to get up and to wash our face and set our hands to the work that God has put before us that day. I don't mean that you conquer kingdoms or that you bring down bad things in your life. I mean that you put your foot one in front of the other and are faithful to do what God has given you that day. To be faithful and obedient to your Heavenly Father. To do the responsibilities that He's given you. Going out to glean was something that was significant in their society. It was Jehovah's principle of provision. I'm going to give you some scripture references that you can look at on your own. Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 and 10 speak to this. The laws of the people of Israel and how they were to obey the Lord regarding the fields. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, and Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 to 22. They're mixed in with the moral laws, the same laws that said you are to keep the Sabbath of the Lord holy, that you're not to worship idols. Tucked in there among those laws was a law written that said, those of you who have fields and those of you that plan to reap from those fields, you may not reap from every corner of the fields. And in Deuteronomy it says, if you happen to drop something as you are bringing in the crops, 
Do not go back and get it. You are to leave it. And in Leviticus, twice, and in Deuteronomy, it says that what is left in the field and in those corners is for the poor and the stranger and the widow and the fatherless. And what God says to His people is that these lands, they're mine. You are only stewards. These crops are only because I sent the rain. You enjoy my blessings and this is how I take care of and provide for my people, even the poorest people among you. Don't take the sheep that you forget or that you drop. And then he says here at the end, that the Lord your God may bless you in all of your work and in all the work of your hands. I said just a moment ago, there are several different groups of people we see in this story. You have the owners of the land, Boaz in this case, the, the workers who are overseeing the reapers, the people who had decided to hire themselves out to the owner. And then you have those who are the gleaners. And these are in their society the poorest of the poor. But they're coming out there and they're working. And that's who all is is there in, in the story, in the scene that we're seeing. And it's a little different than it might be now. There weren't signs or flags that said, this is the land of Boaz, this is the land of Elimelech, or this is the land of so-and-so. There weren't markers or signs or flags you went into the field and you gleaned. And that's how it worked. The reapers did their work. It was more like a quilt. You go into a land and you see these different spots and this belongs to one and this belongs to another and they adjoin together. And that's how God had allotted the lands out to His people. What He was teaching His people by giving them this law is that the land belongs to Him. It merely is on loan to them. It's not their property. He provides for them on it. But He also provides for the poor. This principle and the practice was to be a reminder of God's people that He delivered them out of the land of Egypt when they were poor. Don't forget where you came from is what God is telling His people. You were poor and had no land and I brought you into this one and I took care of you and I provided for you. But it required work. This was not a principle of getting something for nothing. It was hot. It was tiring work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, I'm telling you, That if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And this was that principle at work, even in the Old Testament. The people who went out didn't go out with buckets, would you please fill them? They went out with their loins girded about them, so to speak. And they went and worked. They rolled up their sleeves and they did it, hoping to bring enough home to be able to provide for a meal. And since the prudent reapers worked very carefully, the, the gleaning of fallen grain was very much subsistence living. Much like trying to eke out survival today by collecting and recycling aluminum cans. Nobody was getting rich by being a gleaner. And it was looked down upon maybe in some cases. I want you to think for a moment, just for a few moments, about some things that Ruth demonstrates in being a gleaner. She came to Bethlehem to be a daughter to Naomi. And maybe as they got to the coffee pot one morning, still wiping out the sleep from their eyes, Maybe these questions are running in her mind. What are we going to do? How are we going to eat? I'm the outsider here, Naomi. Are you going to take care of me? You said that you wanted me to have rest back in chapter 1. Am I going to get to have any rest in the house that you've provided? She's joined herself to Naomi. But I believe that she's not asking those questions, expecting that Ruth that Ruth is expecting that Naomi is just going to make things happen for her. Ruth demonstrates some humility. She doesn't come to Naomi speaking about rights or privileges or things that are owed to her. She demonstrates humility when she goes to Naomi, maybe at the coffee pot, and said, I'm going out to the fields today to work, if it's alright with you. And then in verse 7, it says that she asked, when, when Boaz talked to the foreman, She asked, can I go out and reap in the field? Is it alright if I go behind the reapers and work with the gleaners in your field? She's demonstrating humility. I'll do it if you allow me to. And then in verse 2, and it's maybe tucked away a little bit hidden, and it would be very easy to miss it if you didn't see it, but I believe that she's living and walking in humility before the Heavenly Father too. Because she says, I'm going to go out and glean behind Him whom I find favor. I don't know who it's going to be, but I know that I have trusted Jehovah. He is your God, Naomi. He's the God of God's people. 
And I'm going to trust that He's going to provide for me, that there will be a way that He will do that today, and I believe it by faith. It is humbling to see this kind of faith. Going out to glean was not something that was easy. It was actually quite difficult. There were people who took advantage of others when they did this. And in some cases, they were thrown out of the field altogether. Get out. This is ours. And for her to be a foreigner, everybody knew she was a Moabitess. She is not part of the family, so to speak. You're here wanting to take what little bit is left on our lands that our people should get, and you're here to eat? I'm sorry, you can leave. She decides, no, I'm going to trust the Lord. I will be faithful to the vow that I made to Naomi back in chapter 1. Don't ask me to leave. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be mine. She's made a commitment and she's making good on that commitment. She is acting the miracle in spite of her own pain and the risk to maybe even being abused. She is vulnerable before the Lord. And she is saying, I will be faithful to my vow and I will do what I can to provide for you, Naomi. The commitment that she made in chapter 1, verse 16 is real to her and significant and she wants to be faithful. And notice, we don't really hear a whole lot from Naomi. She says three words in these verses. Go, my daughter. And I heard someone say as they were commenting on this, wonder how she really spoke to her. Did she? Was it kind of forceful and mean? Go. Go out in the field. You need to do it. Or did she stand at the kitchen window as she saw Ruth going? And she said, go, my daughter. I'm so sorry. This wasn't the life I wanted for us. This wasn't how I saw it going when we left those years ago. But please go. I see you trusting the Lord. I see you wanting to honor me. Please go do it. And we notice something here that's significant and important, and maybe even our own culture could stand to see a bit of it. It's respect and honor honor for those who are elderly among us. And I know that using the word elderly makes it sound like maybe weak and old or frail people, but just think of it in terms of the relationship that they had. Sons, daughters, to a mom. She took Ruth to be her daughter. She says, go, my daughter. It's a term of love and endearment. And there is something special and covenant relationship showing when that takes place between children and their parents. And it's not always easy. I'm sure Naomi was not a great housemate all the time. I'm sure she was a bit grouchy and there were things that were difficult. And yet, there Ruth is being honorable to the Lord and to Naomi. She let Naomi stay home. There's no note of conversation that took place here. Well, are you coming? Are you getting your basket too, Naomi? She doesn't ask. Naomi's earned the right to be at home, to be provided for. And she does it. Praise the Lord for children who honor their parents. And lastly, our work and God's favor. Point number three. Ruth had a plan. And I don't want you to miss it. She's in her mind. We're here. It's during the harvest. It's what people are doing in town The workers are getting up in the morning. You hear the shuffle of feet going down the streets. I should do it. I should do it. Of all people, you, Ruth, are going to go do it? She's not waiting for handwriting in the sky to tell her, Ruth, the Moabitess, you should go into the fields. People are doing it. I'm here. I'm committed. I belong to Jehovah. I'm going to the fields. And if it's His will, He's going to provide today. And if He doesn't today, I'll go out again tomorrow. And maybe there will be another field that I can go in. Many times we make making decisions and hoping to be in the will of God something that is so mysterious and magical that if it's not written in the sky, I won't make a move. But God has filled His people with His Spirit to have common sense, to take sensible action. And notice, she doesn't take rash action. In, in, verse, in the verse where she's speaking to Naomi, she says, I think I'm going to go out in the fields. Please let me go. She lets her go. Imagine how many things we could spare our own hearts from if we simply just ask for some advice. But she does. She asks. She makes a plan. She asks for advice. And then she takes sensible action. I'm going to go and be among those who glean. And there's a word in this chapter. It is found three times and it's a significant word. And I think it's still a question that hangs over the book. And maybe it hangs over your life. The word is favor in Ruth chapter 2. We saw it in verse 2. She says, I'm going to go reap where I might find favor. 
In verse 10, she says, Why did I find favor in your sight as she speaks to Boaz? And then in verse 13, she says, May I continue to find favor in your sight? She's hoping for favor. But I don't believe it's just from Boaz. Certainly that's part of it. But I don't believe it's just him. It is a quiet trust and hope in her voice. It's significant. What she is is saying is significant. It's something that you and I hope for too. This word favor is something that is used in the Old Testament. Typically in language between a subordinate and a king. Or someone in great authority and someone who worked under them. She's saying, I hope that I find favor in someone's sight today. That I might do this work and provide for us. That we can eat tonight when I come back home. And isn't that an interesting mystery about life? Lord, I pray that you would have your favor upon me and my family. And you think, well, man, would you be more careful about the decisions you make if you thought that was at risk? And yet she's just trying to be faithful to the Lord and do what anybody else would do to provide for their family. She wants favor. And I want to ask you if you notice this language in one of the last verses. I want to read it again. It says in verse 3 that she left went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And in the Hebrew, the language, if you, if you will, is more wooden. If you just translate it very woodenly, it says, the happenstance that happened to her. And what the writer wants you to get is that this isn't a happenstance at all. Have you ever been talking to someone and they say, well, you know, it just happened that, and you almost can't stop yourself from shoving those words out of your mouth. Nothing happens by chance. And that's what's screaming from this text. It wasn't by happenstance that it happened. It was God Almighty who was ordering her steps as she faithfully tried to follow Him. It was God Almighty who put it in her heart that morning to go to the fields. As it just so happened, she got in the field that belonged to Boaz. And as it just so happened, the foreman was nice enough to let her go. It just so happened that they were back at the time of the barley harvest. It was not by chance that it took place. But you have to see for just a moment and maybe even think about your own life that there are things that you do and decisions that you make and for you it looks like it just so happened. Ruth didn't know what was going to take place. She had no idea who owned the field. Not until Boaz came in and announced his greeting. Until there was some stir among the people who were reaping and the gleaners. Who is that man? It's Boaz. She went home and told Naomi later that night but she didn't know She had no idea what was taking place. Believing and affirming the providence of God, we say this was not by chance. This was His work. It was grace and favor at work in her life, just as it's at work in yours. God is working in your life, you people of God. He is not gone. He is not silent. He is speaking through His Word. He does provide for you. He's taking you every step of the way, one day at a time. He is providing He is caring for you. And He does so today in this meal that we're about to celebrate. For His glory and for our good, we rehearse this sacrament every other month so that our hearts wouldn't be given into believing that He's not there, that He doesn't care, and that He doesn't speak. He shouts to us through this meal. The favor that you're looking for, you will not find in the store, in the government, or in someone living in your home. The favor you are looking for is in me, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in no one else. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness and Your care for Your people. Lord, I thank You that You do provide. And though there may be dark providences in our lives and some of us are walking through them now, Lord, I pray that You would put it in our hearts to trust You. Give us the light we need to see the truth and hope in You. Lord, I pray that You would encourage us as we come to this table in just a few moments, as we celebrate this sacrament. I pray, Lord, that You would minister it by Your Spirit to Your people. As we take these ordinary elements of bread and juice, I pray that You would minister the Gospel to our souls and help us to find the rest that we need in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. This time I want to ask the elders who will be helping with Uh, the Lord's Supper to come down.
the Lord Jesus in his wisdom gives us this meal. And it would be easy to think as we just looked at the book of Ruth, well, maybe my problem is in life, maybe things don't seem to be going well because I'm just not a servant like Ruth. I'd rather be served. So if I was just a servant, if I cared about other people, then it would matter and make a difference and I would see God work in my life. And the book of Ruth is so much more than a moral message about you trying harder to be a better servant. It's not that. I want to share some words with you from the book of Philippians as we think about this gift, this sacrament that the Lord Jesus has given His church. This is in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The Lord Jesus in his wisdom gave us this meal as a gift. And you say, well, this is a meal. It's a hardly a piece, a portion of a piece of bread. And just enough to make my tongue wet. This isn't a meal. This is a meal that you come to and you remember the goodness of God. And though you may go away feeling hungry in your body or thirsty in your body, you walk away with your soul being filled as you feast upon Christ. We do that by faith. It is certainly not an extravagant meal. But Jesus did extravagant things for us in providing it for us. He died on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven. That we would be cleansed. That someone would suffer on our behalf and our sins be atoned for. That we being forgiven and made His righteousness, giving Him our sin, we might be able to stand in the presence of our Heavenly Father being redeemed with our heads up we would see and behold the one who was pierced for our transgressions. So as we come to this table of the Lord's grace, I want to remind you that it is a good table. And it's not my table. And it's even not Lebanon's table. It is his table. And the Bible says that we should confess our sins before we do come to this table. So I want to take a moment now, silently before the Lord, confess our sins to him. And I'll pray in just a moment. Father, we confess that we have sinned even this day in thought, word, and we have done things that we know we should not have, and if we have not done things that we know by your word we should have done. We confess, Lord, that we are sinful people, and that apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are without hope in this world. But Lord, we place our faith and hope in you as your people, that you hear us because of Christ's sake, that you accept us. And we are called the beloved in Christ because of Him. Lord, we thank You that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins and all unrighteousness. And that You have exchanged in the great work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and by His resurrection, You have done an exchange that we could never do on our own. You have taken our sin and placed them upon Christ. And You have given us of His righteousness that we are now called the sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is not the table of Lebanon Presbyterian Church. It is the table of the Lord Jesus. And there are certain specific stipulations about coming to this table. You should be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a member of a church that takes the gospel seriously, that preaches repentance of sins and true and real judgment in hell for those who are left in their sins but a glorious hope and resurrection in the Lord Jesus Christ to those who belong to Him by faith. 
But if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not confessed your sin before Him, you ought not come to the table. If you are not a member of a church in good standing, where you have been baptized and taken part in putting yourself under the leadership of their, that church, you ought not come to this table. If you're resisting the Holy Spirit in some way, or continuing in some sin yet unconfessed, you ought not come to the table. And if there is something between you and someone else that as far as it depends on you, you've not made right, then you ought not come to the table, but come back and celebrate after that has been made right the next time that we celebrate in a couple months. But this table is not for the perfect. It is for those who cling to Christ, who run to Him, and who say, I wait for you, Lord. You will come one day and take me home to be with you forever. We rejoice in that, and we wait in it, and we hope in it. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night when Judas left him, before he left him, they were sitting at the table together. And after the supper, Jesus took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus' body was broken and horribly beaten and brutally bruised and bloodied. A crown of thorns crushed down on his head for your sins and for mine, that the wrath of God would be poured out on him for our sake. Praise the Lord. After the supper, he also took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it in remembrance of me for the remission of your sins. These are two gifts of God. The reason He gave the bread and the wine is so that as sensible people we would see them, touch them and taste them and smell them and believe by faith that somehow in the mystery of God's economy He could bring people into His family by the death of His Son. These are sensible signs for you to see. Don't miss it today, dear child of God. These are His gifts to you. And may you rejoice to know that your name is written in heaven. This time we're going to pass out the elements and you'll take those uh, in a moment after everyone has received them. I'll say a, a brief word. But let me pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for these, your gifts to us as your children. We delight to receive them, to partake in this together in the communion of the saints, our fellowship together with our church family. Lord, we confess we are not perfect people. We are joined together by faith in you. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts as your people, that we would rejoice in this meal that you have provided. In Jesus' name, amen. said, take me, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do so by faith. As we're about to take the cup, I just want to remind you that this was the cup of the wrath of God. It represents the wrath that was poured out on Jesus on the cross. He endured all of that for you and for me. And there is therefore now, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So as you come to the table, you don't come so sensing condemnation or fear as though you come to a God who wants to strike you down. You come to a Heavenly Father who delights to receive His children. that after the meal they were they departed with a song together 
So in just a moment after the table is covered, we're going to stand together and sing hymn number 308, Jesus Paid It All. of God who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.